left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. We are building a community of investors who are interested in acquiring real assets that produce real cash flow. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. So that pushed me to look for some other way to supplement my income. And I learned about real estate. And I started discovering that not only had one or two people built wealth in real estate, but hundreds of thousands of people. And so the light was on. It was like, okay, well, if that many people can do it, surely I can do it too. That's coming right up. But first, I want to introduce TribeVest, our show sponsor. I have Travis Smith here, the founder and CEO. Travis, you know I'm a fan of your platform and I'm a member in four different tribes. In fact, I like the platform so much, I'm also an investor. Can you share some of the ways you think TribeVest can help build wealth for passive investors? Thanks, Jim. Well, as you know, we've built a platform that empowers people to easily and safely form investor tribes. If you're a part of an investor tribe, you can participate in deals that maybe you wouldn't or couldn't on your own. And I think that's why TribeVest is so popular amongst passive investors. Think about it. Deals start at 25000 but I've seen investment minimums as high as $100,000 or even $200,000. And I don't care who you are. Those are big checks to be writing as a solo investor. But as a tribe, each member can drastically lower their capital requirement and spread the risk on the deal. Or another way to look at it is where maybe as a solo investor, you might invest in one deal, but with your tribe, you could invest in five, maybe 10 deals. You can think of tribe investing as a wealth building experience with the people you know, like, and trust. If there are left fielders who are interested in learning more, please have them check out tribevest.com or reach out to me directly. Jim. We are thrilled to be a part of Passive Investing from Left Field and excited to listen to your interview with this week's guest. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the left field community. This is Josh McCown from Capital Hacking, and you're listening to Passive Investing from Left Field with Jim Pfeiffer. This is the most important thing you can listen to today. Welcome. We are pleased today to have Whitney Sewell from LifeBridge Capital. Whitney uh, served in the Army National Guard in Iraq. So Whitney, thank you for your service for sure. He is married with three kids and living in Virginia. He began his real estate investing to supplement income from working in law enforcement when he was a police officer in Kentucky. So that's how he got into real estate. We're going to hear a little bit more about that. The amazing thing is Whitney donates 50% of his own profit from his business to support orphans worldwide, which I just think is a, is a fantastic mission. And he is host of the Real Estate Syndication Show, which is a daily podcast with over 800 episodes, which is completely amazing to do this every day. So Whitney, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate the kind intro. 
and honored to be here. So kind of how we want to start is just to hear about your journey. How did you, I mentioned that you got into real estate investing while you were in law enforcement, but can you just talk about how you went from trying to supplement your income to now you're a full-time sponsor, you know, taking down large deals. Can you talk about your, your journey there? Of course. And I'm happy to dive into any part of it that you would like further, Jim. But I, as you mentioned, I did I joined the National Guard uh, at a very young age. And it was actually March of 2001. And so I say March because it was six months later when our country was attacked. You know, So we had no idea at that time we would be going to war. But I did find myself a few years later spending all of 2005 in Iraq. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot. You know, the military just taught me a lot. One thing I, I like to say they, they taught me is to have that never give up mentality. And, and it's just paid forward so many times. It's not an option to give up, right? I mean, when, you, when you're at war or, you know, other people are depending on you to perform. And so no matter what, you have to. Uh, and so thankfully, I was able to come home. I'm very blessed to be able to make it home. Unfortunately, not everyone in my squad did. But uh, coming home, trying to figure out what am I going to do as a career? I was not raised around entrepreneurs or real estate investors. Didn't, you know, nobody in my family really thought that way at that time. And so law enforcement was a great transition. I love the uniform, the, the discipline, uh, just the structure. So got hired with Kentucky State Police. And yes, as you mentioned, it was just a lack of income that pushed me into real estate. But I would have worked the first couple of years in law enforcement for free. I loved working the road. I, I loved that job. Uh, however, got married, you know, quickly after getting hired and determined very quickly it just wasn't what was best. My wife and I just passed each other in the hallway the first whole year of marriage. I'm like, okay, as much as I enjoy this, this is it's just a very difficult family position. You know, my hat's just off to all our officers and, and servicemen and women because uh, it's just a very difficult position and they're very underpaid. So, but that was it. Finally, you know, married and my we, my wife and I, we wanted her to be able to be at home when we had children. And on $30,000, $35,000 a year, forty if I worked every bit of overtime, it was going to be difficult, right? It was going to be very right. difficult to make that happen. So that pushed me to look for some other way to supplement my income. And I learned about real estate. And I started discovering that not only had one or two people built wealth in real estate, but hundreds of thousands of people. And so then the light was on. It was like, okay, well, if that many people can do it, surely I can do it too. So I quickly bought two triplexes. And uh, that was in Kentucky, close to where we lived and made tons of mistakes, so much brain damage there around that project. But, you know, we were just very gung-ho, jumped right in. And, um, you know, I'm sure very premature to just some market knowledge and just skills that uh, uh, should have been developed. However, we didn't lose any money, but we did, uh, you know, just uh, gain a lot of stress through that time period. But man, we learned a lot, right? And so we did have an investor in that deal and they received everything they were projected. But but just a lot of a lot of mistakes there led to Lots of education, no doubt about it. Thankfully, we did not stop, though. If we had stopped, it would have all been a loss, right? But right. so, you know, I kept pursuing that and but kept pursuing some other type of career that would pay us better, pay me better. And I soon became a federal agent and that moved us to Virginia, where we live now. And I was still pursuing some real estate on the side, but I had, I had no idea that this thing syndicate, called syndication was out there. I had no clue that that was there. And, uh, but so I, I kept thinking that, you know, okay, a few duplexes, fourplex here and there, you know, was finally going to do it. But, you know, I started discovering that, you know, thinking through how many doors is it going to take to really replace my income? How many units am I going to have to look at? How many properties? I mean, it was going to take a long time, right? And a lot of management, a lot of manpower from myself. I mean, it's going to be another full-time job, no doubt about it. And it's going to take a long time. Uh, and so it, it wasn't too long after I did get up to a 15 unit, which 
at that time seemed so big to me, right? I mean, it was like, wow, I just can't believe, you know, we can buy a property that size. And, uh, you know, and that went very well. However, I learned about syndication and uh, I don't, I can't remember if I was exposed to a podcast or book one way or the other. Again, I started meeting people, started traveling all over the place and meeting people that had been in this business for many years, but then some that had been in just a few years and they were buying 100 unit, 200 unit properties. And I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, I can't believe I hadn't known about this so many years earlier. Right. So I just jumped in and uh, soon uh, it wasn't very long after that, that we sold everything else, including the 15 unit. And just as we're completely committing to the syndication business, obviously we started the daily podcast. I had a whole nother business as well that I was doing very well in and had developed a lot of skills in and sold everything. We had a farm, we sold, sold that. And so just massive sacrifice to be completely committed to the commercial real estate and syndication business. Uh, and that's, you know, it wasn't long after that, obviously the podcast started the daily show and, and, and we just started engaging as much as possible in the syndication business. Uh, and then there's numerous steps, obviously, to get to where we're at now with what we have under management and whatnot. But I'll let you ask some questions, Jim. Yeah, no, that that is an amazing story. I think I talk to a lot of investors and everyone seems to get to the point somewhere in their journey when they're doing, you know, a lot of them are doing single family homes like, like I was or doing twos and threes and then a 15. And the 15 seems huge. You know, we we bought a 22 and that seemed just crazy. But at some point, it seems like everyone figures out, hey, ones and twos and even 15s aren't going to get you to financial freedom or to where you're going to be. So I'm curious, when you made the jump to syndication, it must have taken a lot of courage to say, I'm going to liquidate everything I've known before and jump into this new this new operation. So I, a couple questions there. One, were you still at the time working as a federal agent and starting the syndication? And two, how did you learn, and I know you did networking, which helps a lot, but how did you get the confidence that you'd be able to go take down a hundred unit building and find people to help you fund it? Great question. So I was still a federal agent for the first few years of of getting into the syndication business. So I was still working full-time. I I pretty much had a full-time syndication business, you know, with full-time family. We were going through our third adoption process at the time as well. We had moved twice in that process too. I mean, it was just madness, right? Uh, you know, starting any business, uh, but it, it was a lot on our plate, especially just as a family. So I was, I was still working full time then, uh, also uh, in a day job. And then there was a point, obviously, of transitioned out of that. How did you get the courage? Oh, the confidence. To, yeah, the yes. confidence there. There was a time there too when I made that, when I decided to transition into syndication, when I knew that, okay, this is the way. I knew. So my other business, I was a professional horse trainer. Most people have no idea, but I was training. I was like another full time job. I would be in the arena till midnight. Or, you know, on weekends, giving lessons. I was selling horses for more money than I ever imagined, doing clinics all over the country. I mean, I had re- that was like a dream since I was a little boy. Uh, and so I say that to say, you know, we had to give all that up, including the farm. I mean, we just said, no, we we're going to cut this off because I knew that I would, com- I would be drawn back to that, right? Or people would be calling me, hey, could you train this horse? I'd be like, okay, you know, I can take one more. Or, and that would have been a distraction. And so I just knew to be successful in this business. I knew I could ride again one day. But I had to just cut all of that off and be completely committed to that business. And during that same time is when I said, you know what, I don't want to make those mistakes again, you know, early on in real estate. Uh, and I know the value of having mentors and I hired a mentor that helped me in a big way. But if nothing else, just to have somebody to call to give you, help give you that confidence like you're talking about, 
uh, just some specific things that happened along the way that I, I just had questions about. And it could be so simple to him, but when you're in, the, in it, it's hard to see the answer sometimes, you know. And so having that person there uh, was crucial to me as well. And just our speed to success and growing very fast as well. So how did you, you said you hired a mentor. I mean, everyone wants to find the mentor that'll kind of help them along the way, but few people are willing to pay for that. So I admire someone who's going to get into something and says, I'm going to pay someone for their knowledge and help. But how do you find that mentor? How do you find someone to help you out? And, and there's so many people there that do this mentoring. And sometimes you're not sure, you know, I'm always like, well, is this the right guy? Is this legit? How, how did you figure that out? So I did a lot of due diligence because there's lots of mentors and they're not all created equal. For sure. I mean, to say the least, I've met so many people, uh, you know, over the last few years that have been in so many different programs and some very happy, some not so happy. I would say more times than not, more that are not so happy. And, you know, and a lot of times you're spending anywhere from 20 to even 50,000, you know, to be a part of a group, to be educated and have, have somebody kind of looking over your shoulder. So, you know, it's a great investment. Any investment in yourself, you know, I mean, it is good, but yeah, I would encourage you to do some due diligence. So a few things that were important to me and how I did that was, you know, I wanted someone that was in the business now. There's plenty of people who are mentors that are still good mentors, but they were successful, say, 10 years ago, maybe over a 20 or 30 year career, very successful, but they're not still in the business. Uh, And so personally, I wanted somebody that was still in the business now, uh, that was still doing deals. And I wanted someone that I had first hand communication with. And so I did. I didn't want to speak to a group of coaches. Not that this is a poor, is a bad model. A lot of people have success through coaching or mentors and uh, models like that. But for me, I want a direct connection, being able to speak to that mentor personally. Uh, and so those are just a couple of things. But what I started doing was going to events, going to conferences where I knew these different people were speaking, right? And so I could hear them firsthand, and I could speak to them firsthand. Uh, that was very helpful. That helped me make a, uh, at least one, if not two different guys that were, you know, 20, 25,000 that, you know, allowed me to say, you know what, it's just not the right fit for me. I can just tell right away. But I also went on bigger pockets and I found people who were being mentored by different people. And I just reached out to them and said, hey, you know, hi, Jim, you know, I noticed your comment about being in this mentorship program. Could I call you? You know, would you be willing to just take a couple of minute call, you know, just a few minutes uh, on a phone call so I could ask you some questions about that? I'm looking at doing the same. And not all, but most were willing to do that. And that was so beneficial. That probably helped me also keep from signing up with a few different people. And then I started meeting more people in the business. And then I started getting some referrals to different coaches, getting to speak to them on the phone. And, and that's when I found the one that I, that I signed up with that I heard different referrals. You know, there was one guy specifically that, I mean, I could find nothing bad about. Nobody had anything bad to say about. Uh, And I would agree with that now. But at the time, that mentorship cost me about $12,000. And that was a lot of money for us. I mean, we were fixing to start our third adoption process. So we're looking to spend another 40 to 60 grand. It ended up costing every bit of that. You know, we didn't know that at the time, but we were expecting it. So when we were thinking about that, we're like, oh, you know, is this the right thing to do? You know, because we're fixing to have this, all this expense for our adoption. And obviously that was very important uh, that we could fund that. But, you know, that same program now is 50 grand to sign up. And so, but looking back, knowing what I know now, even if it had been, we couldn't have afforded it then, but even if we could have, and I knew then what I know now, it would have been more than worth it, more than worth it. So that investment in yourself and with any mentorship program, I just stress that it's all on you. You know, it's all on you. Do you know? You know, don't expect this mentor to hold your hand. Don't expect them to hold you accountable. Some are better at holding people accountable than others, 
But either way, it's still on you to make it happen. I've seen people be successful in many, many, many different programs and many that are unsuccessful in all those same programs as well. And so there's a, you know, a lot of difference in, in just your work ethic and your drive and your stamina and, and being able to push through you know, and making it happen as an entrepreneur in any business. You know, I would just encourage you to think through before you sign up. You know, I've been to several events and I, the first one I went to, I went thinking I was going to be a syndicator and I left realizing that, that I was going to be passive, that I didn't want to be a syndicator. But I did talk to one of the guys who was selling for 25 grand. He'd be a mentor and get you into the syndication. And it was really appealing. And what I admire about how you did it is instead of just signing up after you meet the person one time, you really dug in and did your research. And, and that way, although you're spending a lot of money, you're going to get value for your money because you've done your research, you've done your homework, and you figured things out. I also like your approach of going on Bigger Pockets or any other forum and just reaching out to people. I've found that these conversations you have, if you just reach out to someone or the other way, offer up to anybody, hey, contact me, the networking there and the people you meet and the things you learn, you really get surprised by it. So, so I, I admire that that's how you did that. So moving to now you're doing the syndication, right? Can you talk a little bit about the first deal? Meaning now you've paid your, your 12 grand, you have a mentor, You've sold everything. You've sold all your your horse farm. You're just all in on syndication. Now, how do you find a deal? And more than that, how do you find investors to come alongside? Great question. I know earlier you asked about having the funds or funding a deal. I mean, you have to have the capital, right? But if you, no matter how good of a deal you have, it can seem like a home run. But if you haven't built those relationships with investors before then, it's going to be hard to fund it, right? Uh, and so. I had to determine my unique ability and and you know what was I going to focus on? I knew that syndication was a business that it's a team sport, no doubt about it, right? I mean, it is a team sport. There's very few people who will syndicate their own deal. You know, maybe a small deal, maybe they already have a few people that want to invest with them because of previous relationships or success in other businesses or even other real real estate. But most of the time, guys that are doing, you know, you know, eight to ten million dollar deals or bigger are not doing that on their own. They have a team. And so my, my thought process at that time and what has worked so well is for me to focus on what I'm good at and just be the best at that that I possibly can be and then build the, build the professional team that supplements what I'm not so good at, right? Or just what I'm, I don't have the time to perfect, right? And so, and for me, you know, early on, it, it was investor relations. It was building those relationships. And, and I mean, I started every... I mean, like every month I would be traveling, flying, it wouldn't be local, like flying to two or three different conferences. I mean, so just as hard as I could go, uh, and, and that's still while doing a daily podcast, still while working full time, it was just a, the fullest schedule I could possibly make. I was off from my day job every other Monday. And so those days I would call my marathon days though, and I would schedule my team. So I built a team before we ever launched a podcast. I knew I couldn't do it all. I built a team. And, and, you know, they knew that they needed to schedule at least 12 to 15 shows, interviews for me in, the, in that one day. And so that was just back to back to back to back to back as hard as I can go. And I would also be interviewed on one to two shows and take a few investor calls. I mean, it was just as full a day as I could possibly make it. And then the afternoons through the week were the same way. Uh, even before work, I'd have to be at work at seven and I would take investor calls from five to seven. Believe it or not, there's people that are up then or driving to and from work and they will schedule calls then. And they're quite impressed that you're available then. So. That right. worked in my favor, you know, and, and either way, I had to be working on the business during that time. And so it took just massive dedication like that. But the podcast, 
networking like crazy, but then also having our why it has helped me to build relationships with people, uh, with investors. And so when I found a partner who had a deal, then I had the funds. I had those relationships ready. Uh, it wasn't so much that I even knew in the beginning how much I could raise because the first two or three deals, you, you really don't know, you know, especially the first one or second. Uh, you really don't have much idea of what you're going to, what those relationships are going to turn into, right? How much faith do they really have in you until you can test them a little bit like that? Or, you know, how, what do they think about these deals and, and how much they trust you? But for me, it was traveling a lot. It was networking as hard as I could go. And something I didn't plan, I didn't know, I didn't think about this from the beginning, but the Lord had a different plan. And that was our why, our mission. And you, you briefly talked about it, but just our, our desire to help other families in adoption. Uh, you know, and it was starting our own foundation. That was something that at conferences, when there's a hundred or a th- up to a thousand people there talking about real estate, you got to stand out in some way, right? And and for me, like I said, I didn't plan it, but I would start talking about our why, start talking about why we're doing this, why we have, we're starting a syndication business and, and this big why, this big mission behind it. And, and that helped me to stand out. They would see my passion in that. And that helps them to See a more personal side of me outside of business, outside of real estate, multifamily. Everybody there is talking about multifamily. So if you think a week later or a month later, when you finally get around to following up with this person, it, you know, and, and all you talked about was real estate, most likely they're not going to remember who you were, right? But when you can talk about something, I mean, you can talk about investing in real estate later, right? You know, in the next conversation. But when you can make that personalized connection, it goes such a long way. And that's just what I started seeing happen. And like I said, I didn't plan it that way, but I started seeing that happening. And, and, it, and it's true. They could see the passion that we had for that, for that mission and could just see deeper into who we were outside of just business. Uh, so that was very beneficial. We could build that base. And then other partnerships came, you know, there tons of people that wanted to partner with us. And that's a whole other story, just how we selected those, those deals or even the partnership. So we knew it was the right one. That's great. And I've noticed that people are passionate about something, you can tell, right? And you want to be part of that. So I think that that's a great way. And again, it's even better if it's not intentional, because if right. you're trying to create a passion, you know, that people follow that, that's not really going to work. So I admire that. And, and, and the passion is what, what gets people to follow you. So now you've done your first deal and you've done, uh, you know, a few more. So can you talk a little bit about where you are now as being a sponsor, a syndicator, Kind of what markets are you in and, and what kind of deals are, are you doing? Yeah. So we have, we have 899 doors you know, under management right now, about $150 million worth of assets. And so we are in Colorado Springs, Colorado and Boise, Idaho, uh, two markets that have just, I mean, had very steady growth for a very long period of time. It's one reason we like them. And they're both exploding at the moment, even more so. But all the projects that so we have, one class A project, and, and then we, everything else is uh, like a C plus. Uh, workforce housing, they're all, uh, and, and they're C, I, I call them C plus because of, you know, when they were built, they're like mid to late seventies build. However, all of them are, are probably nicer than, you know, properties that I lived in when I was renting many years ago, uh, especially after we get done remodeling them. Uh, they're just very nice properties, but, but, you know, each of those properties have some type of issue or problem, right? And there's that value there that we know we can create. And especially after doing it many times, that is the the business model at a satellite image view is finding the problems, just like you know many that are listening to this show are going to be familiar with that value add type of situation. But in ours, it's always mismanagement and the, you know units that haven't been remodeled in 10, 15, 20 years or longer, you know, and where we can just see they're very under market rents. And especially by having many other you know units and properties in that market, we we can we know what it's going to cost us and we know what we can push rents to and 
So that's just, you know, we gain a lot more insight and, and, uh, and knowledge of the market that way. You're doing the same thing as many other syndicators, right? You're buying the 1970s, 80s buildings, you're doing the rehabs and all that, but you're you're not doing them in the right places, right? Everyone else is in Phoenix and Atlanta and Dallas, and, and I don't mean you're doing it in the wrong place, but it, it that's part of the reason I was intrigued by you because you're in Colorado Springs and Boise, right? No one else is in those places that I've seen. And so when you're looking for diversification, there's a reason to, to go to Colorado and Boise, but how did you find those markets and, and what makes those viable markets in your mind? Well, if you're an operator and you're listening to this, they're the worst markets in the country. Don't, <laughs> don't like, you know, I wouldn't even consider them, right? But if you're a exactly. passive investor, you need to be looking at those markets. Those markets, uh, it is just very steady growth. And we love the fact that there's so much hype about Texas and has been for a long time, right? And there's so much hype about the Southeast and, uh, you know, the Carolinas and Atlanta in Florida. I mean, all that area down through there has been on fire for a long time. Uh, and so these markets are really good, but hey, it allows investors to diversify in a whole nother way. And we've seen that. Many of our investors have said, hey, you know, we've invested in Texas in, in eight deals and we love that we can, hey, now invest somewhere else in the, in the West, you know, in some great markets. Or, or we've invested in the Southeast in, in 10 or 12 deals. And you know, and now we can like diversify across another operator in, you know, in another market completely somewhere else. But my business partner, Sam, also lives in Denver. And so, you know, we love having somebody that can be there and be boots on the ground. He, you know, he's at these property management meetings in person. He's showing up unannounced. He's seeing these properties, uh, you know, and that's very important to us. I'm there probably one to two times per quarter, uh, you know, on purpose, you know, especially if we have deals, I'm always there for due diligence and all those things. But I'm still going, even if we don't, I'm still going there pretty active, you know, and making sure I'm there once or twice a quarter. Uh, but, but he is there uh, all the time. And so I like having somebody there that understands the markets very well and, you know, is, is in person for those meetings also. But just those two markets have been great for a very long period of time. I mean, Boise, I think it was like two months ago, there were like 11 vacant units in the entire market. I mean, it's wow. insane, you know, wh- how many people are moving in there right now. And again, if you're an operator, just forget that I said that. But, uh, but you know, it, it is. I mean, it is exploding. They're, they're both those markets. Uh, I mean, people are moving from California and, you know, from different places in the far west uh, and are coming to those areas where they can still telework, still have the same income, but live a totally different lifestyle, you know, being outside, enjoying the outdoors, you know, in a very different way. So has the pandemic helped you or, or hurt you? I know that for most of the people that I'm investing with, vacancies and things aren't up as high as you would have thought, but you're saying people are moving right to Colorado, to Idaho. So have you had any trouble collecting rents or is it just continue to boom? It has continued to boom. I mean, I think, I think everybody has those professional tenants, right? That's just part of the business, you know, that you're going to have a few that, you know, and all of a sudden you can't evict them, but uh, that's part of it. And that's why you have professional management. But our properties have continued to perform extremely well. We've not missed any distributions. Uh, I mean, we haven't even thought about it, uh, you know, I mean, as far as uh, stopping distributions. Uh, and, uh, and so, no, they've done great. Our occupancies have been up. Just really no issues on that front. Uh, COVID has not, has not hurt our properties. Obviously, we've tried to help tenants and we try to stay, you know, a lot more connected now to them and just better understanding what industries they're in, wh- where they work at. Uh, and so we can predict some of those things, right? And, and obviously, you know, in March, we closed a large project like a week before the country shut down, uh, you know, in March of last year. And at that point, nobody knew what to expect. You know, we thought we may not get to do another deal the whole year. 
And however, we did three more deals, you know, so it, it was still a really good year for us. And I think for both of those markets, and it's even even getting better. That's great. So when someone wants to invest in one of your deals, how do they typically involve you in their analysis? So just to phrase this for myself, when I invest in a deal, I'm, I'm first looking at the sponsor, making sure that I know, like, and trust. Then the market, am I interested in that market? And then I want to dig in and analyze the deal. But I don't want to underwrite it from scratch. I want to just kind of check and see, does it fit all the, the metrics that I'm interested in? So when you are talking to investors, how do they involve you in that analysis? So great question. I mean, I have dozens of investor calls every week uh, with people that are looking to find that passive income stream, right? You know, they're heavily invested in the stock market or they're heavily invested in single family homes, or maybe they have another business, whatever it is. Uh, but they, what the one thing they do understand is that they don't have the time to run their own real estate business, but they do understand the need to have real estate in their portfolio. And so syndication, you know, they've learned about syndication and it's like the light bulbs come on again. You know, like we talked about earlier, wow, this is a great method or a great place to consider placing some capital. And so, you know, involving me is that first call, right? You know, them getting to know me. Uh, oftentimes, they've, they've listened to my podcast for a long time and they feel like they already know me or they've already learned a lot about me, you know, by that point. But then they have questions about maybe how we, you know, our track record or maybe some deals we've done or, or me personally or our team or just the process of getting on our investor list and what that looks like moving forward. But what I tell people too, because I get the question also, you know, how do you get started passively investing? And it's aligned with this. The biggest thing is similar to what you just said, Jim, is who's the operator? What's their character? And personally, I like to know how did they become who they are? And I think like that is my first line of defense when thinking about investing with an operator. Like, who is this person? I want to know more than just their track record in real estate. Uh, and, and so that's not always easy to find. And I'm not saying you have to just like do a background check on every operator, but I'm just saying you need to just know a little about somebody. And that's, that's, that's one reason why, you know, I share things like the military and uh, even getting soldier of the year while I was in Iraq and becoming a, a state, state, state trooper and federal agent, all those things. I feel like that shows a lot of character. Obviously, it's not easy to accomplish any of those things, but I want to know those things about somebody because I feel like when hard times come, you want to know that just the more character things about this person. You want to know that they're going to have you know you in mind when those decisions come, right? And your best interest in mind, because uh, it's not always the case. Uh, and so I feel like that's what a lot of times people are trying to find out. You know, is this somebody I trust? Just like you talked about, Jim, uh, because the market, the deal, all those things then are secondary. I don't care how good the deal is, if you can't trust this individual, you have nothing, right? And and that's a big deal, and and that is something that I thought about because as you know, I invested with you. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, it was great. We, we, we talked a number of times. And one of the things that gave me some confidence is your background. Because to be honest, there are a lot of syndicators who are podcasters like yourself. And I always wonder, are they a podcaster, meaning a marketer, or are they an operator? And it's hard to get down into that. And there's nothing wrong with being a marketer. But I want to make sure you're also an operator. And being able to do things like you know, work for the, be a federal agent or, or go over to Iraq. And it just gives a little bit more content to the character. And, and I think that does, that does really give, give some confidence to, to investors like me. So when you're looking at a deal, or I guess if you're looking at it from the aspect of a, of a passive investor, what are some of the important deal metrics that you, that you would look at when evaluating a deal as, as a, if you were investing as a passive investor? So when I'm looking at a deal, what should I be looking at and kind of checking the sponsor on? Okay. So, so at this point, you trust the sponsor, you've built that relationship. Now he's actually sent a deal to you and you 
you're considering investing in this deal. Obviously, you know, is it a market? I mean, there's so many things that are, I, w- I would remind, to, remind you too that, you know, think about your personal scenario here, you know, and, and where you live maybe, or the markets you're already investing in, thinking about, you know, how are you diversified across different operators or asset classes even, or markets uh, and deals, things like that. So, you know, thinking through some of those things and think about this market, how many assets does that operator own in that market? And so that gives you some insight just to their knowledge of the market. Right. You know, it's and not that it's a bad thing. Let's say they have a dozen deals and now they're moving into a new market. They're probably have done a lot of due diligence and understand how to do that, you know, in moving into a new market. But if it's there for, you know, if they've done one deal in one market, now they're first deal in another market, I'm going to have some more questions about their knowledge base of that market. Right. Why did you pick this property? Do you, what do you know about surrounding properties? I may even look up some surrounding properties and, hey, did you see this such and such property? Uh, what do you think about, you know, how their rents compare to this one? You know, especially if I don't see it on their, on their uh, investment summary or something like that, right? Just ask some questions just to see what kind of due diligence they've done of the market. Uh, It's not that you're going to know every question to ask, but it's just going to allow you to bring out some things, right? Uh, And and get some more information, particularly that you may not have noticed or or got from them before. But I'm going to want to see things like, you know, and ask them, how how did they perform during uh, the pandemic? You know, where are their properties at? What happened exactly like you asked Jim? Uh, and I want to know how you're prepared for a, for a downturn. I ask everybody on my show, everybody that's an operator, and, and I love getting their responses. How are you prepared for a downturn? What do you expect to happen over the next year, right? Uh, and oftentimes, I don't hear a response that I would prefer to hear if I was a passive investor, just to be honest, okay? And, and I, it just, I just struggle with some of that because I'm like, or when I hear those things, I'm like, I may hear, uh, you know, that they have $100,000 in reserves over a 200-unit property or $15 million property or two, $20 million. And I'm just you know, that, that would scare me, you know, as a, as a passive investor. Uh, cash is king when, when there's trouble, for sure, right? Uh, and so, you know, like we want six to nine months of operating expenses and maybe even more. You know, I mean, on day one. And so it's just not uncommon. You know, that deal we closed in March, I was telling you about, you know, we had a million and a half dollars in the bank in an emergency fund from day one, okay? And some other operators invest with us as well. And some of them were like, Whitney, don't you think that's kind of a, a overboard, you know, overkill there? Uh, and I'm like, you know, because maybe it hurts the return slightly, and it does slightly, uh, no doubt about it. However, you know, they shut the country down the next week, and guess what? Everybody's thankful that we, you know, everybody's happy about that then, right? But things like that, like I want to hear, like, how are you prepared for that? There's things that happen, right, that are just outside of our control, like a pandemic. And I want to know that, you know, do you have adequate reserves? What kind of financing do you have? I, I love that, you know, we want to have fixed rate long-term debt if at all possible. We never want to be made to sell. That's, I mean, everybody loses, right? If we're made to sell a property, bank's going to take it. Everybody loses, right? I mean, that's the last place you want to be in. So what kind of debt? How long? Is it fixed rate? Uh, and then, you know, is this a stabilized property? Is it cash flowing? Uh, you know, that's something that we're really big on. We feel like that just minimizes so much risk. When we can pay you a distribution within the first 30 days, you know, after closing, you're going to check. I mean, it's just, a, it's another reason why we love this business. Because uh, you're getting a check from day one, you know, or in the, within the first month and monthly thereafter. And so stabilized property, adequate reserves, ad- you know, proper financing, those things are some of the things I want to hear about. Uh, and then maybe you look at there, obviously, we can talk about underwriting and stuff, but, you know, what kind of assumptions are they making as far as rent growth and expense growth and things like that? After this last year, you know, do they expect, you know, to have 5% rent growth every year or the next five years? Well, that would be very, you know, aggressive to me, you know, be very aggressive. So I might question some of that, you know, or or I would love to see, you know, zero or 1% in the first year or 2%, you know, at the most, something like that, you know, or less, uh, preferably. 
uh, you know, maybe in the first two years, even at this point, you know, of where we're at, just with the unknowns. But those are many things, Jim, and maybe more than you wanted me to say, but that's, that's just a few things that I like hearing about, you know, if I'm talking to an operator or even on our show when I'm asking them, because I, I, you know, I'm going to be investing in more operators as well. And so, you know, I want to know those things, right? Another question for Travis Smith, the founder of TribeVest. Travis, I often talk about group investing and how it can ease someone into passive investing because they're investing with other people. Can you talk about the power of groups and how TribeVest can help new investors get started in syndication investing? I love this question because it reminds me of why we started TribeVest. My brothers and I saw real estate as a way to hack wealth without having to give up our day jobs. And despite not having any real estate investment experience, we found confidence as a tribe and that we'd be making decisions together. We were up for the adventure. We valued the idea of learning and growing together. But we had a more obvious problem than lack of experience. We lacked capital. We had good incomes, but didn't have the lump sums of money to break into syndicate investing. We each committed to contributing $500 monthly. And that was our breakthrough. As a tribe, the capital added up fast. And it wasn't long before we had our first experience in true wealth building. We were now part owners of a physician's office building in beautiful Pasadena, California. And we've been building wealth ever since. So yes, TribeVest is a great tool for people to ease into passive investing because it makes it so easy. And it helps you take the most important step, the first one. If you start pulling capital, the deals will come. Jim, we realized that if our tribe could do it, any tribe could. By forming and funding our investor tribe, we secured a future we could have never imagined. It really did change our lives. One other question is for a passive investor these days, there is a ton of capital on the sidelines. So when a deal comes out like yours did, the first time, you know, I think I waited a couple of days to think about it and analyze it, and I was out of luck. And so the next time a deal came out, I jumped on it. But how, how do passive investors now deal with the fact that sometimes you have to say, I'm in, and you haven't fully understood the deal or had a chance to talk because these things fill up and what your last one was 10 hours or something, I think. That's a great question, Jim, and one that I'm not getting enough. So this past year, yes, we did four, we did four large deals. Three of them were like 10 to $12 million raises. Another one was around seven, seven and a half million. And they did. They filled up uh, in a day and a half, a couple of them in like 10 or 12 hours, you know, or within a day and a half. Uh, and so very blessed. It's a very great problem to have, right? However, we did have many investors who said, you know, they would email me or they'd call and they'd say, Whitney, I mean, they, they, and they may have invested in numerous deals with us. So I hate this, right? I mean, I, but they would say, Whitney, you know, we didn't even get to see the deal before it was full, you know, and they're frustrated and I do not blame them. Uh, and so what we've done is we have, you know, we've, we've gone to every, we've tried to think of everything we can think of to ensure everybody knows about it at the same time. We send an email, they get a text message. They also get a voicemail from us also saying, Hey, it's in your inbox. But the problem you're, uh, in your question, you know, like, well, we don't even get to look at it, but we, we kind of have to sign up before we even get to ask all our questions, right. Or get to look at it. And so I would say with us, I tell every investor, I mean, on dozens of calls every week, I, I you know, I say, if you're interested, you know, I have to sign up quick. But there'll be a wait list. If it is not the deal for you, if you find out a week later, 
you know, it's just not the right deal for you. I do not want you to invest. And there's absolutely no hard feelings, right? No hard feelings whatsoever, but you do have to get on that list. It's time stamped. We go right down the list, uh, you know, in the wait list as well. So I would say you have to sign up. I would say, uh, you know, do an immediate look over, make sure it it meets. And I I guess even before that, know what you're looking for, right? Know some standards, uh, whether for you personally, the type of deal, you know, the returns, whatever it is, that you are specifically looking for. So you can quickly say, okay, you know, this is the type of deal. This is the level of risk I'm, I'm okay with. These are the returns I'm okay with. You know, this seems like what, you know, what Whitney talked about on the phone. This is what, I, what I'm looking to invest in. Sign up, okay? And then, you know, take your time to do your due diligence. You know, look into it. Look in the investment summary. Get your questions answered. Call me. Send me emails. Ask our team. Whatever you need to do so you know exactly what you want to know to ensure this is a proper investment. Uh, and then, you know, and we'll continue the the process, right? But I would just know too that, you know, our team anyway, if you make the decision to sign up and then a week later, even if something just changes in your finances or you just say, oh, wait a minute, I didn't know this about this deal and I'm just not as comfortable as I thought, don't invest. And we are fine with that, you know, because like I said, there'll be plenty of people that will take your spot. And I just, I don't want you to invest if it's not what you're looking for. So I don't want there to be even pressure there from us or our team. I want you to sign up if you're interested, but uh, I don't want there to be any pressure to think that like you're just 100% locked in then. And that that's appreciated by investors. I know that because there are some that don't take the soft reserve or they treat the soft reserve as a hard reserve. And so if you jump in because you have to, and then the deal comes and you're not so sure and you start asking questions, they don't want you in it or they won't give you the next deal or whatever. So I really appreciate that approach from a syndicator. That's a really fair approach. We do not take you off the list if you don't invest. I, I had that question even this week. Somebody emailed me and said, hey, I didn't see the last deal. Am I not on the list now? Because this person had backed out of a deal before. You know, I'm like, no, we do not do that. You are still on the list. You know, We are not doing that. Like I said, I do not want you to invest if, if it is not what you want it to be. I really like that approach. And so last question for you today. And again, the caveat, you cannot use the fantastic real estate syndication show. So other than that, what's a, what's a great podcast that you listen to? You know, I'm, I'm very picky with my time and I don't get a ton of time to listen to podcasts now. And I was actually pulling up my podcast app just so I can even refresh myself a little bit. But, you know, one podcast that I, I do really like is the Tim Ferriss show. And I don't listen to all of his either. But I do, I learn a lot from him, even just how he interviews and things like that. He is really good at asking questions and he just has some fascinating people on, right? That's probably one that I I enjoy just going to sometimes. There's other things I just, uh, other podcasts, maybe I learn about other things, you know, other industries or whatnot. But as far as overall, that's just one that I enjoy where I learn a lot just from him personally, but even from some of the guests, I don't like I said, all of them aren't something I care about listening to. But many of them overall, he's just a very deep thinker, I think. And, and I enjoy, you know, learning how to think sometimes like that and how to ask better questions even on our show. Well, that's great. We appreciate that. This was great. Really appreciate you being on. This has been a fantastic show. So if people want to reach out to you, can you give us the, your, uh, your contact information? Of course. Uh, you can reach me through email, Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. Don't forget, you can call or text me at 540-585-4338. So happy to take calls or texts or, you know, you can email me and, and we'll schedule a call or obviously you can go to lifebridgecapital.com and you can sign up on the contact us page and, and somebody from our team will reach out to you probably within a few hours or at least that day to, to schedule a call with me. Great. Appreciate that. Thank you so much for being on the show. 
And uh, we'll talk again soon. My pleasure, Jim. Thank you. Thanks, Whitney. That was great to have Whitney join us on the podcast. And I really liked the networking with your why discussion that we had where he was going to networking events and not purposefully, but just talking about something other than real estate, talking about his passion made him stand out. Just talking about the foundation that he started to, to help orphans and children and, and adoption, that really made him memorable to people and helped with his networking. And you have to be authentic when you do that. It has to be with passion. And I think he showed that. You can't go there with a gimmick and try to get people to uh, to invest with you. You have to show your real self and, and be authentic. But just showing that passion, I think, adds a little something extra. And as Whitney said, then people will remember you. And I also like that as a sponsor, he's a no pressure guy. Right? Some of these sponsors are, you got to invest, you got to invest now. But he's sign up because there's a lot of demand. You got to get in right away. But then after you've had time to think about it, after you've had time to analyze the deal and really dig into it, after you've asked all your questions, you can still get out of the deal and he'll let you in the next one. And that's the way I think is a fair approach. And that makes you think that as an operator, he's going to be fair and he's going to get you a good deal and you're going to be satisfied with it. So I'm really pleased that Whitney was on the podcast. I had a great time and look forward to doing it again. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.